I just welcome you. We have been talking. Welcome to this series on called The Great Sermon. I get a kick out of it every time I say that uh, because it's not because my sermon necessarily is going to be great. I pray that it is and I believe that it is, but it's because Jesus preached a great sermon. That's what it's about. In Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and uh, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I was reading through that a few months ago. And I said, Lord, I said, man, we need to preach this message. This needs to be preached. He said, it sure does. I was like, oh, I guess I'll be preaching that sometime <laughs> soon. And uh, you know how the Lord, he kind of, he knows how to talk to you. And um, I said, okay, amen. And so I've been looking forward to the, Have you gotten anything out of it so far? Yeah. Amen. Weren't the Beatitudes, the blessings of God so rich? Yeah, when you go into it, if you haven't seen those, I would highly recommend that you go back and watch uh, the parts. There's six parts already in this series, but watch it because they, you know, we just read through that. Blessed is this, blessed is that, and we just read through it. But it is so rich. There is so much in every single one of those verses. And when you watch it, you'll see that. But Jesus really made a statement. He comes out with this great sermon. The first thing he does is blessed, 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 blessed. And he just keeps on saying the blessings of God. You know, the world has it in their head that Jesus is doing this. They think that if he would have got up and preached a sermon, he'd have gone cursed, 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 cursed. That's not what he did at all. He said, blessed, 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 blessed. And he was showing us how to walk in the blessing. And one of the things we finished up with all of the Beatitudes, which are the blessings last week. But one of the things I want to show you is, uh, one of the things that we talked about from the very beginning is this great sermon is really talking about how you, say me. me. Amen. Y'all were a little slow on that. Me. Say, say me. me. Amen. How I can get blessed, how you can get blessed, how we can walk in the blessings and the power and the light of God. Now, a lot of times when we see that, you're going to see when you read through the great sermon, there's a lot of conditions. In other words, there's a condition for me to meet as a believer, right? But a lot of people say, well, I can't do all that. Well, you can't do all of that. Not on your own, but with Christ you can. And the key is that we start paying attention to him and what he's empowered us to do, right? And when, once we do that, we start by faith pulling on the grace, the empowerment that God's given us. And then we're able to start stepping into some of those blessings. And that actually, if we keep on, we can step into all of them. That's what this is about. This whole sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is to get you to move yourself from where you are into the power of God, into the light of God, the revelation, the beacon that God wants you to be. It's to get us into that place. But now here's the thing. Can you get there? Anybody ever felt like I can't get there besides me? Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. I think all of us at some point. But I want you to notice over in, um, there's so many places where it talks about this, like Ephesians 1. He says uh, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in heavenly places, right? Over in Peter, it, or it talks about this, that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, in Romans chapter 8, 32, it says that if he would give us his son, how would he not freely with him give us all things? He said, I've blessed you. I've called you blessed. Now look, if he's already called us the blessed of God, then he would be completely unjust and unfair if we couldn't actually step into it. In other words, these are the blessings here in the great sermon that he's laying out in detail. But in other statements all over the world, he said, you are blessed already. That means that we can do every single one of them. That we can step in every single blessing that he's laid out. And that should encourage you to say, oh my goodness, I can do that. Yeah, you. You can do that. Amen. You can walk in those blessings. Not because you are so great, because he's so great. Because he loves you so much. You can walk in those blessings. 
You can walk in every one of them. So when you look at the list and these conditions, don't let your flesh go, oh, I'll never be able to do that. No, 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 no. That's not, when you were created in Christ, when you got born again, you were made a new creation. You are a new creature in Him. And He's given you the ability to be picked up and, and lifted up by His power, by His might, to be somebody you could never be uh, without Him. And then you can step into those places of the blessing. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. All right. So now as we step into this verse today, it's talking about the salt and the light. And I want you to see this. This is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under, under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now you see, he's talking here in these verses about the salt and the light. And I really thought that today would be all about the salt and the light. But when I started unwrapping just the verse on the salt, I recognized very quickly that this is not going to be about the salt and the light. It's just going to be about the salt. <laughs> kind of like all these other verses. It had so much in it. Because what is he talking about? The salt and the light. And tell me, tell me real quick, let's, let's get interactive for a second. Tell me real quick what you think he's talking about, like one phrase when he talks about being the salt of the earth. Our lives. Our lives. Okay. Flavor. Preservation. Flavor. Flavor. That's good. Huh? Create thirst. Create thirst. That's good. Well, what does he actually mean? What is this verse? Let's, let's read it again. But you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now this is very interesting because... I think that we've read over this verse and I think that we've got a glimpse of what it may be, might be, could be talking about. But I don't think we really know. I think, I think we've just passed over it. You remember what we talked about in the great sermon? How at the end in chapter 7, the last two verses it says, and the people were amazed at his teaching, right? But then when we read through it, we're not amazed by it. So what's the difference? The difference was he had something else besides words. There was a spiritual package going out besides just a package of his words. And, but there's also some things. This statement, this verse, oh my goodness, what a statement it is. I mean, it's, it's amazing, this verse. It is amazing. And yet we just read over it, we quote it, we talk about it. You're the salt of the earth. But we don't really know what we're talking about. And we can't be amazed because we don't understand it. So I want to talk about it today and I want you to understand what it is. This is one of those messages that your friend's going to be like, you know, well, well what pastor preach on on Sunday? And you're like, you're just going to have to go watch it because it'd take too long. There's too much in it. You know, you're going to have to see how he unpackages it. Because if I tried, you just know it's not going to come out right. This is one of those messages where it's like, oh my goodness. Right? So let's look at this. Look at the same verse in the message. Now, in the message it says this. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Ooh, that's powerful right there. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Amen. Wow. Amen. If you lose your saltiness, 
how will people taste godliness? So I believe this verse in particular is talking about the seasoning, right? And, uh, but salt means, it does several things. It, you mentioned most of them. There's one that you didn't mention. But most of the time, uh, salt is a preservant. It is an enhancer. It will make you thirsty. But it's also a purifier. It's one of the things that you can use to bring purification to something. So salt represents all of these things. There was a, there was a series that we used to watch on Netflix uh, called Good Eats uh, with Alton Brown. That was fun. Anybody watch that? Yeah, amen. It's fun because he brought science into the kitchen. And so one day he was talking about salt, and you know he's talking about stuff I never really thought about or heard, not in terms of cooking. And he said the reason why salt is used in, in food, and he explained it, and I'm not going to, but basically when you add salt to the food, it, it opens up your receptors, so to speak, so that you can pull all the flavors that are in the food. It's kind of like it draws those flavors out of the food, and you taste them on a whole nother level. This is why people put salt in their food. Of course, if you eat too much salt, it's not good for you, but uh, you can sprinkle a little bit here and there, and it will enhance the flavors of that food. It draws them out. Well, think about that in terms of God. Here's God wanting to show his love in the earth, and when we add our salt, all of a sudden, well, people can hear about God, hear about God, hear about God, but when we add our salt to the mix, they actually see God. They taste him for who he is, right? Isn't that awesome? But salt is, salt is also a preservant. It's, it keeps things from going bad. You know that there's actually scripture that talks about it this way, uh, that talks about that when the church is removed from the world, that's when the Antichrist can do and create all his chaos, Right? That's when he can move in. Us being here, right? The word says this, it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, it's bringing a good life-giving rain because, on the unjust because the just people are there. In other words, if I'm the just and this whole section over here is unjust, but I come over here, it's going to rain on them simply because it's raining on me. I am a preservant to the unjust because he's pouring out goodness for my sake. Because of the just, right? So we preserve the world. See, people don't know it. People are making fun of the church, but they don't realize that the whole world is being held together because of the church. Because of the church. Because of the body of Christ in this world. It is, you are the salt of the earth. You are a preservant, right? But one of the things in this enhancement I want you to look at is this. Is salt, give you a couple of characteristics. It doesn't go bad unless it gets wet. When it gets wet, it can clump together, but then you can break it apart. But it doesn't go bad, but it can lose its flavor or it can lose its ability to be an enhancement. It can lose its ability to enhance things. So in other words, if I'm being salty Christian, then I'm going to be showing the good things of God to bring out the God flavors in this earth. But if I stop doing the things that show the things of God, I've lost my flavor. I've lost my ability because I'm not paying attention to the things that I should be. Anybody ever remember when you first got born again? Most people's story is this. When they first get born again, like they can't get enough of God. And, it, and everybody that knows anything about God is just looking at that person. They're just smiling. Look at them. That's awesome. Look at how God's moving on their life. It's so cool. It's so great. They're just, it's like, you know, parents looking at a new baby because it's just awesome, you know, how they're enjoying the world and enjoying God. And when they first get born again, it's like they want to tell people about God. They want to get in the word and everything like that. But isn't it funny how the world starts to wear down on that? What are they looking at? What are they enjoying in that new believer? They're enjoying his saltiness. 
But then the world comes and starts to remove that enhancement, remove that flavor, take away, and it starts wearing. And here's what, how it happens. The cares of the world start to wear on our ability to enhance the things of God in this earth. Now we have the ability to either walk in that or not walk in that. We can either let life happen to us or we can happen to life, right? We can either let life happen to us or we can happen to life. Now, I want you to see this. There's a thing in the Word that talks about a covenant of salt. We're going to look at it in Leviticus 2.13. And there's several other places. But there was a covenant of salt. And this covenant of salt was a gesture of being all in. I'm all in. So I want to ask a couple Kendall and David, will y'all come up here? Glory to God. Used to, my understanding in ancient times is, when two men would come together, they would make a covenant with each other. Sometimes they were a blood covenant. Another way that they would show covenant with each other is what was called a salt covenant. Now, we have a, a reminder of that sometimes in weddings because in weddings, uh, have you ever seen the people bring their two uh, different colors of sand and they pour them in the jar together? And the thought process in that is once those two uh, get in there together, you won't be able to separate them again. You know, even though they're two different colors, it would be practically impossible. But if you took, you know, thousands of years, you could probably pull them apart. But with salt, it's a different story, right? So, when they would come together for covenant, they would bring their salt, glory to God, and they would pour it together into a jar. And as they would do that, they would be showing that every portion of their life is then blended together. So, will you guys have edit here? Give us a good example. And as they would pour, this represents how their life starts to blend. And as their life starts to blend, can you tell the difference where one life ends and another life begins? No. It gets combined. It becomes one. Now in the weddings, generally they have different colors and it makes a really pretty thing they can put on there. But with salt, you know, here's the thing. They start moving in this covenant, and they're saying, we're one together. What's yours is, is mine, what's mine is yours. We're one. You can't tell where one life ends and the other one begins. You're not going to separate this. That's good, fellas. So now when they do that, this is what I want to say. Is there anybody that would like to come up here and separate that and show me which one is David and which one is Kendall. Anybody? <laughs> George went, not me. <laughs> See, with that salt, you're not going to be able to do it. It's impossible. Thank you, guys. It's impossible to see the difference. Let me put it like this. God has made a salt covenant with his people. No, no. God has made a salt covenant with his people. He said, I'll become one with you. And you will not be able to separate us. It's an all-in gesture. In other words, this is not something that we're going to be able to reverse. Yeah. I'm giving all of my life to you. I'm giving everything I have. And you're not going to be able to reverse that. Let me show you this. If, these, if, these, if this salt, these grains of salt represent God's life and my life, I want you to know which one is God's action and which one is mine. You can't tell because they look the same. Did you catch that? See, when we go into a covenant with God and we start, we start understanding that His life is mine and mine is His, 
If the devil was looking on with spiritual glasses and he saw your actions compared to God, should he be able to tell the difference? No, because we're all in with God. I can't tell which grain is God and which grain is them because they're operating as one. And so this in our uh, salt had this, this idea that my actions are the salt. The actions of my life are me following the commandment of love. If you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then God says, let my actions be your actions. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. Let there be no difference for someone looking on. They won't be able to tell the difference between me and you because our actions and thoughts are the same. So if we entered into this covenant with the Lord, what we're actually saying is that, Lord, they won't be able to tell the difference between us. They won't be able to tell. So now, in, in God's ways, it's not God that's coming down you know, to come into our ways and do things our way. It's us moving up to His ways, up to a heavenly and a holy nature. All of a sudden you start to see that this is me making the decision that I'm going to start walking like God. So now you go back to that verse and it says you are the salt of the earth. In other words, as you do what I ask you to do, you will bring the God flavors into the world. But if you don't do what I'm calling you to do, the world will not taste of me. And you become useless in your Christianity. Strong, isn't it? Once the two parties mix their salts together, there's no way to separate them again. There's no way to tell the difference between God's acts and yours. Now, you'll see this in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt. Now this is very interesting. Every grain offering you should season with salt. So that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. What a weird thing to do. Yet this was symbolic. God knew that eventually we as believers would become the salt of the earth. And what he was saying was this. You notice that basically you have, you have a couple of different offerings. But the main offering that people think about is a meat offering. Is a shedding of blood for the remission of sin. So in other words that offering gets us from being at a bad place to getting us into, being a, into a good place. But this grain offering was different. This occurred after the sacrifice offering offerings. This occurred after the blood was shed. This is an offering of the, of the grains of God. It's an offering of, hey, you've blessed us, Lord. This offering is an offering that's based in thankfulness. I'm already made right. Now let me thank you. So now what you see is this thankfulness offering is saying, Lord, I thank you for what you've given to me. I honor you. I esteem you. I would not be here without you. I'd be in a mess. Trust me, without you, I am a mess. But with you, I can be made like you and nobody can tell us apart. Thank you. But what he's saying is this in the grain offering, which is an offering of thankfulness. In other words, let your thankfulness be like this. That it's always mixed with acts of godliness. Never let your thankfulness be without actions that look like me. Always let the salt be in there. Can you see that? This grain offering was an offering of thankfulness. And listen, this offering represented every area of life. So for instance, let me show you what this means. To get to a grain offering, they had to bake a cake of the grain, right? 
But to get to the baking of the cake, they had to have pots and fire to bake the cake. They had to have the dough to bake the cake. In order to have the dough, they had to grind the grain. In order to grind the grain, they had to have you know, wheels or some kind of materials, right? They had to have resources to grind the grain. And they also had to have grain. In order to have grain, they had to have the separation of the wheat and the chaff, so to speak. So you had this process of going through the purifying. In order to get to the separation of the wheat and the chaff, you had to have a harvest. And then before you got to a harvest, you had to have workers who would harvest it. Before you had a harvest and workers who were harvested, you had to have time from the time it was planted to the time that it grew up, right? Then that in the middle of that, you had to have rain. Before you had rain and time in the harvest on the seed, you had to have seed. And before you had seed, you had to have the ability to plant the thing. So you look through, this was an all-year-long process from the beginning of and the end. It included every portion of somebody's life. And it's saying this, Lord, I see every area of my life along the timeline of my life. I would not have this if I did not have you. Lord, I thank you. And when I thank you, I'm going to bring you an offering of my thanks from every portion of my life, from every part of my being. I'm going to bring you an offering... And I'm not just going to bring you a thankfulness offering. I'm going to add my actions to it from every area of my life. I'm going to give the salt into it too. So now all of a sudden we don't just have thankfulness and thankfulness offering. We have thankfulness that moves us to the place where we take action on it. And not just one time during the year. But it's throughout the whole year. It's every day of our life. One of the things that salt was used for was an incense. In other words, they would take the incense and they would mix salt. And then when it burned, it gave off a different kind of smell, a different kind of aroma. You recognize that this represents now an aroma of our love for God, an aroma of our thankfulness, an aroma of our whole lives being given to Him, whether we like it or not. It's an aroma of that. So here's the thing. That incense was lifted up, and you know we, it talks about in the Word that, that God would smell the offerings and it would be well-pleasing in His sight. This was worship. This was worship to the Lord. This was an offering of worship. Now, I want you to think about offerings and worship. And let me ask you this. Do our offerings and do our worship smell the same without godly actions attached? Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, we can bring an offering all day long. But if we're not living it Monday through Saturday, out Sunday, do they look and smell the same? When we're lifting our hands on Sunday morning, do they look and sound the same if we don't have godly actions throughout the whole week? They don't. It's not the same. Our actions of faith, our actions of trust, essentially salt or season our offerings in our worship. I want you to see this too. Uh, I read this statement uh, this week. It was an interesting thing. You know, we could live life all of our life without pepper, right? I know that might not be Justin's case, but uh, he likes spicy stuff. But uh, um, we can live without pepper, but you can't live without salt. Now today we have supplements and our technology has maybe gone beyond that. But in the days that this was being written, you couldn't live without salt. Because in salt was other minerals that we had to have to survive. So when, when these two parties came together and they gave to each other of their salt, they weren't just giving and making a, a symbolic agreement. They were literally giving life to each other. When, we, when he took an offering and they offered it in front and they brought it and they sprinkled it with salt, they were saying, look, God, I need salt to live, but I'm trusting you and I'm going to throw it in the fire, so to speak, because I trust you more than I trust what's in my hands. I can feel it hitting you. You are being quiet. You can amen every now and then. I might... Uh, I'll, 
I'll preach shorter if you amen. <laughs> that might not be true. But um, anyway, we're saying, look, I was just seeing if it worked. It might work. <laughs> Maybe, who knows? If we say, hey, I'm going to give you my salt. Look, they had to have salt to survive. They're saying, Lord, I trust you more than what I have in my hand. I trust you more, more than what I see in my bank account. I trust you more than I care about my reputation. Yeah. Come on. I trust you more than the stuff. And Lord, I trust you. So see, this offering of salt and the salt covenant was more than just symbolic. It was literally a trust and a faith. And it's saying this, Lord, I trust you so much that I will give you all of my actions, whether I feel like it or not. I trust you. I trust you with all of my life. Salt shows and enhances the treasure of your heart. Think about this. Out of the mouth, the, the heart speaks, right? We can tell where somebody is because of the fruit that they have on their tree, right? In other words, their actions are going to be a result of what they actually believe. Now, y'all remember the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah? Uh, Sodom was an evil town, right? They were, they were, golly, they were wicked. And then all of a sudden, the angel comes down to save Lot and his wife. Why? Because they were connected to somebody that was godly, Abraham. Lot was Abraham's nephew. So the angel comes down and says, look, I'm going to save you. But then he tells them this, go away from the city and don't look back. And this verse here, Genesis 19, 17 says, And when they, talking about the angels, had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But we know that Lot's wife, what happened? She, she turned around in verse 26, but his wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back. She was escaping the things of the world. But let me ask you this question. Where was her heart? And then she became a pillar of salt. Now this salt also stands for something being pulverized to be blown away in the wind. So in one person's hands, salt can be everything and it can enhance. But in another person's hands, based on their heart, they can go to nothing. Salt basically is our heart's actions. And when she turned around, she showed that her heart was not in the things of God. Her heart was back there in that wickedness. And all of a sudden, immediately, her life turned to something that was blown away. It had lost its saltiness. And what was the treasures of her heart came to nothing. Came to nothing. Salt shows the treasures of our heart. And it enhances. If you really believe and are thankful for God, then the actions of your life will start to show the salt of your life. The salt of your life. Salt is an offering of our love in the face and the cost of persecution. Now I want to show you something. Do you remember last week when we ended on the Beatitudes, the last two blessings? Do you remember what they were talking about? Because this is not like a separate letter and not necessarily a separate subject that stops one subject then goes into the next. This was a continuous thread of a message. And I want you to see something. Look at this. If you back up to verse 10, now salt is verse 13. So in between 10, 11, and 12, what is it talking about? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you so the context of this salt message is on the heels of a message about persecution 
Now, do you think that they go together? I promise you that they do, and I'll show you that in a second. But here's what I want you to see. Remember we talked about if you didn't hear last week, you need to hear it because it talks about this persecution because you have different kinds of persecution. Most people classify persecution as being beheaded or crucified or something, a martyr. But that in terms of the New Testament was great persecution. And a lot of times people don't attribute what normal everyday persecution can do to you. Here's what normal everyday persecution uh, looks and feels like. I don't want to say my blessing because they might talk bad about me over at that table. That's persecution. And what's happening is the threat and the fear of persecution is causing you not to be the salt. You see it? We're afraid of what people will think, so we don't, we, you know, we, we don't come forward when we need to get on our knees and confess. We're afraid of what people will think about us. That's the fear of persecution. And so because of that, our actions won't actually be with our offering. And so we're not actually offering God and giving to Him out of love. We're, giving to him out of, we're not giving to Him because of fear of persecution. So a lot of times we think persecution is this great big thing and yet the regular everyday persecution is completely ruining people's lives and the saltiness that they're called to because they're letting that everyday persecution stop them from being the Christians and the salt that they're called to be. So then on the heels of that, seeing that he's saying, don't fear persecution, but you'll be blessed when you stand up in the face of persecution and be who you're called to be. Now read verse 13 and it says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, quote unquote, uh, or parentheses, you know, Lego parentheses, uh, uh, that's quotes, <laughs> uh, because of fear of persecution. If its salt has become tasteless because you're afraid to be seen as a Christian in a world that's becoming increasingly uh, hostile towards Christians, you're afraid to go lead somebody to the Lord. You won't even learn how to do it because you're afraid of the persecution. It's causing you to lose its saltiness. If it's lost it, how can it be salty again? Well, praise God we have a merciful Father that before we get to that full point, He, he sends you a message like this and says, Get salty. Get salty. Don't back down. Remember, be bold. Be confident. And look at this. Uh, Luke 14, 34 and 35. Luke 14, 34 and 35. All right, it says this. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? Verse 35, it is useless either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's he talking about losing their salt? Christians. You and me. He's talking to us. He's talking to believers. Don't lose your salt. If you lose your salt, you're worth nothing here. Don't lose your salt. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, if you got ears to hear, in other words, you're, you're saying, look, I'm of a humble enough heart to hear this message. He says, let that person hear. They'll be the one that receives the life-given hope of God and the strength of God to step in and be who they're called to be. But I want you to notice, he says this at the end of some other scriptures. What was he saying right before this? Right before this, uh, in Luke 14, you go on up into verse 25, the the uh, topic of this set of verses in my Bible says uh, discipleship tested. In other words, our discipleship is going to get tested and we're going to find out if you really are a disciple of Christ or not, if you really will live this life or if you'll just claim the title. You'll just show up on Sunday morning, but you don't live it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the rest of Sunday. 
We'll find out. And what does it say? It's talking about here to, to test it. He says, look here in verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know from the full counsel of the word he's not telling you to hate your dad, right? What he's telling you is in comparison to how you love me, that's the way it ought to look. In other words, I'm on the top or else you're going to have this wrong and you're not even going to be able to love them like you should. You've got to understand that your love for me comes above this. This is a cost of a disciple. This is a testing of a discipleship. I can remember a period of time where it was very clear to me. Either I'm going to listen to my dad or I'm going to listen to my holy father. And I had to make a choice. Who do I love? Well, I can't love my dad if I don't love my father. If I don't love God right, I can't love him right. So the choice, I, I mean, it was on my flesh, it was difficult, but in the spirit, it was right. I had to let go of what he was thinking at that time because the Lord had given me specific instructions. And if he agreed with it, okay, fine. If he didn't, okay, fine. But I've got to go after him. This was a test of my discipleship. I had to count the cost there. Then he says, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Carry his cross. What does that mean? That means face persecution and make the decisions anyway. In other words, my actions in life should match up with what I say that I am. I should be salty. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe him will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? What is that? Persecution. Look at him. He's trying to be godly. Look at her. She's always got scriptures on her desk. Isn't she cute? That's persecution. But then when you fail and miss it, they're sitting there making fun of you. Oh, Mrs. Scripture taker, note taker in church. She, she blessed out her co-worker the other day. Persecution. You, they, they're saying, oh, I'm going to try to be godly, but I missed it. And now persecution comes against that person. And so what ends up happening is most of the time we don't even try to put up any scriptures anymore. We don't try and talk about God around the co-workers. And what have you just lost? The saltiness. Verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or the, verse 31, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. Then it says, therefore, in other words, because of this, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? In other words, if you don't come back to Christianity and God say, Lord, I thank you so much. You have blessed my entire life. You have saved me from the fires of hell. And because of that, you deserve my every life, my everyday life, my every thought, my every action. Let me not just worship you on Sunday, but let me give some salt along with it. Let my actions turn and show you how I trust in you. Let my actions show you how I have faith in you. Let my actions show you how I love you. Let my actions back up the title that I'm claiming because I'm not tasteless salt. I'm the salt of the earth. That's 
And my whole desire. And God then says this in the verse that we're looking at. And when you make that decision, when you count the cost, yes, people may persecute me. I may miss it and people may make fun of me. They may make fun of me because they're in a church down there that believes in joy. They may make fun of me and they may try and persecute me. They may make me feel bad or laugh or snicker at the restaurant because I say my prayer. But I'm not laying my saltiness down. I've counted the cost. You are worth it. I thank you. I worship you. And I'll be salty. Then all of a sudden, the world starts to really taste who God is. Look at Mark chapter 9. Or excuse me, uh, yeah. Mark chapter 9. Verse 49 and 50. For everyone will be salted with fire. Now that's a weird verse and we'll come back to it in a minute. Verse 50. Salt is good. But if salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now doesn't that sound good and nice, but did you read the verses in front of this one? If you back up and you start looking, it, the, my, the topic in this section of notes says dire warnings. Oh joy. <laughs> Glory to God. Doesn't that just make you want to give a hallelujah? Dire warnings from Jesus. Now, now listen to this. John said to him, verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. Verse 41. For whoever, now we get into it. For whoever gets you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. What is this? This is an action of your saltiness. It's an action because I believe in you. I will give to the poor. I will give to somebody who's thirsty, right? I will do these things. And then it says this, 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Oh, humble Jesus right here preaching. <laughs> what kind of person would cause one of the little ones to stumble? Somebody without salt. Without the actions to back it up. It generally goes something like this. Well, pastor preached on you know, not sinning on Sunday. Yeah, I, but God is merciful. He, you're, we're in an age of grace. You don't have to do that. I know he's doing that. And what they're really doing is they're, they, want to, they know that they're not ready to give up that sin yet. So they want, to, they want other people to be on board with them. And because of that, they've lost their saltiness. And now they're causing another person to stumble because they don't have actions of thankfulness that's backed up with that. That's just one of the ways it can look. What is it? They've lost their salt. You'll be okay. God will forgive you. Just recently, listen, this, I, I, I couldn't believe what my ears were hearing. This may sound small to you, but this is huge. I was walking uh, down a hallway, and I was with different ministers, and uh, this was a minister and I never met before. They just started talking, and uh, all of a sudden they started talking, and they said, as a minister of 25 years, I'm like, oh, well, this ought to be interesting. And, and they said, as a minister of 25 years, I've just found out that it's easy, easier to get forgiveness than it is permission, so I just do it, and then I say, oh, you'll have to, please forgive me. I was in such shock. I'm like, are you kidding me? Where's the character in that? Where's the saltiness in that? Instead of facing a little bit of persecution, you won't even speak the truth as a minister of 25 years or however long it was? No wonder America's where it's at. When you got ministers of 25 years that think that it's okay to lie. 
And now they're trying to call somebody else to step into it. Lost their savor. Lost their saltiness. Instead of being real with sin and with grace to empower them over sin, to give them the power to say no, to deny all ungodliness in Titus, it says, they're using it as an excuse to go ahead and do it. God forbid. They've lost their saltiness. I have no doubts that they were in love with God at one time, but they've lost their salt, the saltiness. They need to confess, repent, get on their knees, and they need to find it again and start living like they experienced His love for the very first time. Verse 43, humble Jesus preaching a message. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell with, into the unquenchable fire. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 45, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having two feet be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes salty, with what will you make it salty again? Having salt in yourself, be at peace with one another. Now see, wasn't you are the salt of the earth such a nice verse before when we first started reading? Didn't it sound so good when we read it in Matthew without any context whatsoever? But now it's like it's in my business. <laughs> it's all up in my business. But it needs to get in our business. Amen. The salt needs to get into the wound so it can heal. Oh, we love Pastor Brian. Amen. Glory to God. Yeah. But it's me too. Man, I'm being convicted as I preach it. It's empowering me to be the salt. To forget about persecution and yep. live a life yep. that doesn't make excuse for things. But it gets serious about God's business Amen. so that my actions and his actions can't be separated. Amen. And the devil sees me act and he thinks it's God. When the devil sees you act and he says, oh, Jesus is here. Because you bring out the God flavors in life by every action. You see, each time he's talking about salt, he's talking about persecution, he's talking about getting real. And here's the thing, you've got something that's been eating your lunch. You know, anybody ever see the movie Fireproof? And you remember the guy was having an issue, right? He was having an issue on the computer. The best thing, this is what Jesus was talking about. Do what you got to do to get rid of the temptation and the thing that's causing you to stumble. So he goes outside and he beats up that computer with a baseball bat and he doesn't bring it back in the house. He doesn't go buy a new one and hook up a new one next week. He gets out, he flees the temptation. Yeah. He does what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to come against him. He got out of the house. Yep. He shouldn't have been in there probably in the first place, but once he recognized it, he ran. Good. Over in Timothy it says, Flee youthful lust. Stop playing games with it. Don't cut off the cord. Cut the lifeline to that thing and get away from it. If it's something that keeps causing you to stumble and it keeps causing you to lose your saltiness, do what you've got to do to get away from it. This is what Jesus is telling. Which would you rather have? You know, Would you rather have a computer and end your life and go into hell? Or would you rather kick the thing out and turn the phone off, get it out of your house, get it out of your life, and become salty again? And people can't tell the difference between you and God. And you have your joy and you have your peace. This is what he's saying. This is Jesus preaching. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just showing you what he's been preaching for all these years. But you don't have people that are taking it seriously in the church. I'm, look, it's convicting me as I, as I preach it. Man, I got, I got to live this thing. 
Maybe, that, maybe it's not something that serious. Maybe it's just that you, you turn on the TV instead of picking up the Bible. But it holds you back from the saltiness. It's a waste of time holding us back from the saltiness. I put these verses on there. But the proof of salt is love, is fruit, and unity. These things will be in your life. You know, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we had an attack. We noticed it. We came against it. But it was an attack of the spirit of division against, uh, against Boomerang. It was like everybody was irritated with somebody about something. What is it? I don't know. They're just irritating. You know, it's kind of like that, right? And, and here's, here's the thing. This is what I loved watching. Within a few days, everybody put on forgiveness and moved toward it. Why? Because you're starting to walk in some of that saltiness. One of the fruit of being salty is you're moving in unity. I don't care what they do to me. I love them. I forgive them. We're going to be all right. We're on the same team. We're going forward. Amen? Amen. That's, a, that's the fruit of being salty. I don't care who they are, what they think. They're in my family. We're on the same team with Jesus. We're in unity. And we're going forward and we're going to win. And the devil can stuff it. Amen. The proof of salt is in love. It's in the fruit of the Spirit. And it's in unity. I want you to see this in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. In other words, when somebody comes into your life, your actions towards God will show you the things to say and to do, and your actions will show them the God flavors. In other words, what he's saying is, when your actions, your offering of thankfulness and worship is mixed, is mixed with your thankfulness, when your saltiness, your actions are mixed with your thankfulness, you'll know what to say, you'll know what to do, and you'll start to prove to those people God is really who he says he is. Amen. This is what he's saying. I told you I'd come back to this when it said, uh, the weird verse where it says, let me find it here, for everyone will be tested with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. I want to explain that to you. If you look right below that, it says in the New Living, it says, for everyone will be tested with fire and every sacrifice will be salted with salt. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? What it's saying is this. Everyone's life will be tested. And it'll find out. If you have salt with your actions, it will prove itself as an offering that's good to the Lord. Right. But if you just bring an offering, but there's no salt in it, it will be tested and come up short. Everybody's life will be tested. This is when he's saying, count the cost. This is when he's saying, do what you got to do to stay salty. You're going to find that your life is going to be tested, based it off whether or not we were salty. Tested on whether or not our actions matched up with what we believe. And then when we do that, we become the salt of the earth. The preserving factor. The purifier, the enhancer of the God flavors in this world. When we put on those actions, we become that. Will you help me, guys? Our lives are supposed to be lived in such a way that our actions can't be told apart from God's. 
They're so mixed and mingled with God, who is our supply and our source, that our actions are forever impossible to separate. Our actions of love and thankfulness, regardless of persecution, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it cost our flesh. And that's the biggest cost there. It's really the, the thought of the flesh. Oh, if I go after God, I can't do this. See, that was what I was running. I told you the story of when God told me that I was fearful. When God told me that I, was, that I was fearful of the responsibility of ministry, the problem was I knew that I wasn't perfect. And here's the real key. I didn't want to be perfect. I wanted my actions of the flesh to remain because sin is pleasurable for a season. I wanted them to remain. And I knew that I wasn't there yet. And so I'd get close to the place where I thought I had to be perfect and I'd back away. I knew that I wasn't ready to be salty. And I was scared to death of what that looked like if I wasn't there. And I should have been, I, not necessarily fearful, but I should have come to a better decision. I should have been willing to throw it out. Because our actions are called to be inseparable from God's. See, I wasn't being not just a bad preacher. I was just being a bad Christian because I still wanted to hang on to my stuff, my junk, my mess. I wanted to hang on to it. I needed to go to a place this salt covenant is an all-in covenant saying there's no reversing from this. I'm all in with God. I'll never be the same and I give myself for the rest of my life for my actions to line up with God's for them to be inseparable. This is what we should do every time that we take communion. Every time we take communion we should remember the cost that Jesus paid for you. I just ask you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to think. What did it cost Jesus to save you? What did it cost him to get you right with God? It was a heavy cost. It was quite a heavy cost. And he did it because he loves you. The word tells us that we're to remember the price that he paid. We're to remember the cost that it cost him. But we're to remember it and esteem it in such a way that it causes us to change the way we live. In other words, based on our message today, and we're supposed to esteem the cost that he paid for my life by giving my life now for him. In other words, it's based on today's message, when I esteem what he did properly, there's no other choice but for me to be salty. For my actions to be God's actions. There's no better time, I think, than to make a choice to be salty for the rest of my life. Count the cost and make a choice than when we remember the body and the blood of the Lord. The body and the blood of your Savior. So just meditate on it for a second. Let the Holy Spirit show you what you need to do or not to do. Let Him show you the depth of a commitment and a covenant to God that needs to take place in you this morning. Let the Holy Spirit show you that. How to be salty for the rest of your life. How to bring out the God flavors in this earth. how to be the preservant that God's called you to be. You see, all of this is not to get you to feel bad or to take on condemnation. It's to get you to rise up in who you are in Christ. It's not to condemn you. It's to knock the chains off of you. To say in Christ, he's given me the grace to be salty. In Christ, he's given me the ability to be who he's called me to be. A king of God's house. A queen of God's house.
royalty in his kingdom. That's who I am. The devil may have lied to you and told you that you're not worthy. He may have told you that you're not even a child. I don't even know why you go to that church. I don't even know why you try. The devil may have said, I've heard, I believe I heard those words specifically to somebody that he might have said even this week. I don't even know why you try. Because you're not trying anymore. You're receiving of his love. And when you receive of his love, he will then empower you to be who he's called you to be. The royalty of God. That's who you are. That's your true identity in him. The whole point of the devil is to try to get you not to see that. Not to see how much God loves you. And this is a moment where you're you're sticking it in the devil's face. And you're receiving with all joy the price that Jesus paid for you. With all commitment from this day forward, Lord, I'll be salty for you. I'll be who you've called me to be. My actions will not bend in the face of persecution. They will not bend in the face of temptation. My actions will not bend because of the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. My actions will be salty. My actions will look like your actions. My thoughts will look like your thoughts because I've esteemed the price that Jesus paid for me. I see who he's called me to be and it's not some beat down, broken down human being that doesn't even resemble a responsible human being anymore. But it looks like a child of the Most High, a child of God. That's who I am, and that's who I will be. And when sin tries to come up in my face from this point forward, I'll tell it, get out. That's not who I am. That's not my identity. That might be who I was, but I'm not that person anymore. I'm a child of the Most High. Many of us have tried to do that before. But it's when you make a commitment and a covenant, when you go all in, things change. Today's your day to go all in. Today's your day to put all that old you on the back burner, never to be heard from again. To be salty, the salt of the earth. Jesus, we esteem the body that you gave and the blood that you shed. I just ask you all to pray this with me as we partake of communion. Pray it out loud. Pray it with your mouth. Mean it from your heart. You get serious with God. He'll get serious with you. Father, I may not have been salty up to this point, but today I make a change. Pray it with your mouth, not just in your mind. Today I make a change. I'll be salty for you. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord. You are the Lord of my life. You're the director. You call the shots, and I'm obedient. And I believe that you died for me, and I believe that God brought you back to life. And raised you from the dead. And when he raised you up. He raised me up. I'm no longer in the death of sin. I'm raised up with Christ. And seated in heavenly places. Jesus. Baptize me. With the Holy Ghost. And with fire. Empower me. To be the salt of the earth. To say no to sin. To look into persecution. And keep going. Empower me. To be your witness. Bringing out all the God flavors. Into this earth. In Jesus name. Father. We receive today the body and the blood just like it's fresh and new, just like it's the first time. Lord, we receive your lordship in our lives and your empowerment to be who you've called us to be. And we will never be the same. 
As we take this communion, we receive healing into our body. We receive the empowerment to be salty, to tell sin no. We receive every portion of your eternal salvation. We receive protection, provision, deliverance, restoration. We receive every piece of it and life eternal to know you and your son. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may take the communion.